I am so happy to welcome Penny Haslam to How to Build a Village. Penny and I met at the BBC more than 15 years ago. Penny's the author of a book, Make Yourself a Little Bit Famous, when she talks about how to perfect your speaking and self-promotional skills with all sorts of wonderful anecdotes about how she has built her own business. I will let Penny, tell us more. Penny, welcome. Hi, Jill. It's great to be here and great to be back with you. I feel like we're back in that open plan office in London's television centre, slaving away at the desks, trying to fill business programmes with amazing expert guests and having a bit of a laugh as well. So it was only 15 years ago, but it just seemed like a very long time ago, many lives ago. Exactly. But it's really, always really impressed me how you use that background for your current career. And I was also very impressed back in the day to see your stand-up comedy routine, which <laughs> you're, that, that's really, really hard to do. And uh, especially because you were a journalist by day, stand-up yeah. by night. So it's great. You, you did both so well. So if you could talk a bit about how you're using your broadcast background for your entrepreneurial career that would be great mm. yeah it's nice that you've put it like that it makes it sound like it was a very clean and easy decision you go oh I'm a broadcaster I could easily set up in business and do xyz it doesn't work like that or it definitely didn't work like that for me and I wish it had but I was very green to business when I first took it up when I first decided to get into business into being a business owner wow and I, although I was a business journalist, the business journalism thing is easy because you just ask a load of people, a load of questions about how they do business and they tell you the answers. But when you're doing it yourself, it's a, uh, well, it's this huge learning curve which never seems to stop. So my broadcasting skills are in communication, I suppose, communicating mm -hmm. dry, boring sometimes information and getting people to listen or watch your dry, boring information. And you can smile a bit and do that. And, or you could use words that are um, illuminating, interesting, make people come along. You can explain it coherently and ultimately be a great communicator. Now, how does that translate into running a business or setting up a business? It's really difficult, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So the obvious first step for any former broadcaster is to say, right, I'm going to do media training. And I did a bit of media training and I found that although it was good, fun, it wasn't like a business that I would do every day because the need isn't there. And I just thought, mm -hmm. oh, I don't want to do this forever. This is going to be a bit boring after a while. Um, around that time, my husband came back from a commute, he was coming in the, for the evening and he goes, oh, I've just been listening to Radio 4. I've just been listening to the media show and they've been talking about the lack of women experts on TV and radio. And this is, you know, we're, we are feminists in our house. We are mm. a feminist household. We are progressive and forward thinking and all the rest of it. And I've always gone on, <laughs> always bored people about the lack of diversity on TV and radio. So this was back in 20. 12 2013 uh but thankfully this university had done some research into the ratio of men and women who were being asked on air as experts and god it was shocking 
but it was everything mm. I knew to be true. So the shocking stats were for every five male experts you'd hear on the Today programme, which is a Radio 4 national morning flagship programme on the radio in the UK, you'd just get one woman. So if you tuned in mm. for half an hour or an hour of a morning programme, and there were no women speaking authoritatively, expertly, uh, with confidence, you could assume if you were from another planet that we had no women in public life or in business or in politics or at, you know, at universities or uh, no one knew anything. And if they did, they were men. And that annoyed me. And <laughs> it always had annoyed me ever since working with you in that big open plan office, ever since becoming a researcher or an assistant many years before then in broadcasting and always seeing the same guests being booked. And they mm -hmm. were generally called Dave, David, John, Luke, you know, loads of male, Charles, mm. <laughs> and so on. And when I was a kid, you know, in my 20s, I was thinking, do women actually do business? Mm. I think we had one female chief executive on once, and she ran an airline. So there were barely any FTSE 100 leaders, certainly no chief executives. I think she was just one, maybe in the top 350 companies. And I remember thinking, gosh, a woman in business. Wow. And that was in the late nineties. So if me in my twenties with an education working in a broadcasting world thought that, then what was the, the general audience thinking, you know, what was the message? The message was that men in suits do business, no one else. So I was delighted with this research and it clicked two things into place. I thought, right, I can help women get on air and I can use my media training to help them do it. And that was the business I set up. That's a long, long answer, isn't it? <laughs> and then it's amazing to me because at 2012, when you said you had the conversation with your husband, it's pretty early for that realization and that action. Now I feel like that there is more, as there should be, attention being paid to this, that like, hang on, where are these female voices? And it's great to see and hear more of them. And it's great that you're part of that effort. What sort of challenges have you encountered with your clients? Are there, do many of them have the same um, hesitations or fears about broadcasting themselves or putting themselves forward for guest opportunities? Yes, sadly. And it's not because they are timid individuals. And by the way, that business never worked. <laughs> mm. And that was a learning curve. That business mm. was called Penny Haslam's Expert Women. And I sought out women who could be experts on air. Great idea. But to answer your question, what I found was that there was a challenge um, for monetizing that. Because mm. the women who could give themselves permission to go on air as experts were the owners of their own business or the leaders in their business. And they tended to be smaller businesses. The women who were in big corporate worlds who perhaps would have the money to pay for media training and a kind of support onto TV weren't at a level high enough that the media would accept them on. You know what it was like when we were booking guests to go on air, you'd say, oh, I've got a really great speak, you know, really great expert. She is, head of human resources and the probably the producer or the channel might say mm, we really need the chief executive it had to be the chief it had to be the c-suite person 
mm-hmm. guess what? There were no C-suite women. Mm. <laughs> so you can see my problem in business was trying to get women on air. It felt more like a movement than a business for me. And mm-hmm. then I, I changed my business. I morphed it into something bigger and wider that would be uh, encouraging of all people to get themselves out there, to make themselves a little bit famous, not just on TV and radio, but to answer your question specifically, oh yeah. I mean, I have had rooms of women who, (laughs) so we do a practical bit, right? We'll do the video bit, we'll record some interviews and then we'll watch them back and we'll, we'll offer some supportive, encouraging feedback. And women always look at themselves and go, oh my God, I didn't know my hair did that. Or, oh, I can't believe I don't smile. That was terrible. You know, very rarely do they listen to the content that they're saying Mm. and critique that Mm. first. Whereas the men, when I media train them are like, "Uh uh-huh. Oh, great. I did a great job. (laughs) How interesting. Yeah. Well, we're socialized, aren't we? From a very early age to present to others well. You know, we are meant to smile, we're meant to read the room, we're meant to be attractive as well. That's how we're coached in our small childhoods. Whereas boys aren't told to smile, love, it might never happen. Um, (laughs) Can you look a bit prettier, please? Uh, There's none of that for the boys, is there really? It's more like, oh, look at this, look at the little man, isn't he great? (laughs) So there's, and also, you know, going back to the numbers and the ratios of women on air, Mm. or even women in a a lineup at a conference or women taking part in a panel. There's always the Smurfette. There's always the one woman who's the representative or the token female, if you're lucky. Mm -hmm. And that is changing. That has changed over the last five years, a lot more. Um, But we don't really see our place as being up at the front of the room or on the TV, being expert and confident and totally sure of ourselves. We've seen more of it recently, thankfully, and I think women are finding that they do have a place and they are entitled to that place. It's their rightful place. But gosh, you know, we've got 2000 years of of that not being the case to yeah. kind of override with our passion and our support. And yeah, so encouraging women onto TV and radio was quite hard and is quite hard, it is, because it is scary. It's seen as scary. Mm. And well, I love that at you how you tweaked your your business and in so doing, I've started achieving that goal of getting more women in front yeah. of the camera and on the airwaves. And how were you able, I'm fascinated this in your, about this in your entrepreneurial journey, how were you able to figure out that monetization bit? Like you were saying that the, the first incarnation didn't tick that box. So how, how did you then come up with the idea of broadening it out, making it make everyone a little bit famous? How did you know that that would resonate? I started by thinking, well, okay, if I'm only marketing to women, I've halved my market. Mm. And in that particular market that I want to get into, which was not small businesses, so larger of the mediums, even corporate business, they have the wallets that I crave. You know, I I can pay my rent with that stuff. (laughs) I can't pay my rent with a movement that's great, but, you know, isn't going to get me any money into the bank. I need to target those markets. If I just, they weren't ready yet. The corporate market wasn't ready. I had lots of really good conversations with uh, partners in law firms, with uh, HR directors, people who knew that this was something that would be important and yet couldn't quite 
do the, the full thing. We go, right, we're going to push our women. So I had to say, right, you're going to push your leaders into being more visible. So I t- also then, not only did I expand my market to everyone, mm-hmm. not just women, I expanded the offering, which wasn't just about going on TV and radio, because that's a very, very small proportion of the pop- working population who will ever end up on TV or radio, who would ever want to or ever be in a position to. So I then thought, what is visibility? What does a leader need to do? What does a business owner need to do in order to be the figurehead of their business? Yes, go on TV and radio. That's one little tiny bit of it. But they also need to speak really well. Hmm. And around that time, I was developing my own career, a sideline, if you like, or a a passion. I was following my passion to not just do a little bit of stand up comedy, but to do speaking on stage. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a communicator, basically. I can't, it doesn't matter where I am or what I'm doing. I love communicating with people. Mm. And a stage is a natural home for me. So I was developing myself as a professional speaker. Ooh, that was a whole new business. Gosh, that blew my head off. It really did. <laughs> it blew my mind. But I was encouraging other people to do the same. So the, the reason I started speaking was because I went to a networking event and I didn't like it didn't like it. I didn't like having to shake hands with everyone and explain who I was. I wasn't good at it. It didn't feel natural. But then I got asked to speak at a networking event. And lo and behold, I found myself shaking hands with the whole room in one go. Everyone got to know who I was. I didn't have to do the heavy lifting. It was time efficient. It was effective. Um, It was valuable for my business. And so now I encourage others to do the same, you know, and to broaden their visibility. So that's how I changed my business, but it took a while. It wasn't like an overnight idea. And how were you able to find and create those speaking opportunities? Oh, that's a a good one. That's a big one. Do you know what? (laughs) I could spend a long time answering that. It is a, it's, it's mind blowing how you do this. I found best support in joining the Professional Speaking Association, which is a national association in the UK, the PSA, UK and Ireland. And it's also global. So there's the Global Speaking Federation. Every country has a speakers association or similar. And it's a little bit like Toastmasters, if you've heard of that, where Mm -hmm. you, yes, you you look at the performance side of things, the stagecraft, the how you how you start a talk, how you finish it, how you might use slides. But the majority of the activity in the talk is about how to build a speaking business, how to get bums on seats, how to get customers. Mm. And again, like any business, and this is made hard because it's about you. You are the product. So it is made a little bit icky. <laughs> <laughs> It's, <laughs> you have to be like, hey, look at me. Oh, do you have to look at me? Yeah, you do. Okay, <laughs> look at me. Ah, it's a bit awkward. And oh, look at her. She's such a show off. I know, I have to. I'm the product. Um, so it's, yeah, again, it's about identifying your market, identifying the product, writing the right words around your product to sell it well, uh, asking people for testimonials, being on social media, having a brochure, you know, a two pager that you can send out to people. And then you can attract business in the ways that you feel comfortable. Some people mm-hmm. do cold calling all week long to get gigs. I prefer to go for referrals. I prefer to suggest myself to relationships I've already built. So with building a village, you're kind of building a community of potential customers in that way who you can 
have a chat with rather than going, hi, I'm Penny. I'm a speaker. I can speak at your conference. Pay me. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not quite as easy. I've been asked to speak at conferences because people have got to know me. Mm. Oh, you could do that. Oh, brilliant. You're a speaker. Oh, yeah, you could speak about confidence. I'm like, oh, okay, new talk. I'll, I'll work something out. I'll do it. So it's, uh, it's really whatever's right for you in terms of speaking um, and who your market is and how you might sell to them. But yeah, creating opportunities when you are not a professional, you just want to be the representative of your business, then that's about just calling a load of people up and going, I'm going to attend your networking meeting in three weeks time. Do you have a speaker? Do you want a speaker? Can I speak in a month's time? Or I can speak for 20 minutes about something that's useful, not just about my business. And then you come in with your ready-made topic of what you will speak about. Yes. Ideally, you'd have a ready-made topic that you would flex for the audience. And I've, I say that not because you should always have a ready-made topic because you're lazy, but because you don't have any time to go about creating new material all the time and knowing that it works well. So the more you talk about your ready-made material, the more good, oh God, really good at English, the more good you are, no, the better you are. No, what is it? The, the more confident you'll feel about delivering it and making sure your content is, is useful and coherent and is relatable. So there's lots to go at in terms of the content, but I have a couple of talk topics, which I flex. I've, I'm really good at talking about them. I'm really good at telling them. I don't often put together new stuff and deliver it in its entirety anymore. That's just too stressful, isn't it? Sure, yeah. And, and I, lo I love the use of the word flex. Oh, That's yeah. Flex, flex your communication. <laughs> so um, I would go for the 80-20 rule every time in my talks. I have chunks. I call them chunks. They're like uh, sections of my talk which um, will help an audience understand something. So it will include a story and maybe a bit of why they should and then a bit of how they could. Um, but at the beginning and the end, I will change um, how I package this stuff up or how I frame it according to the audience. So I had an audience of franchisers a couple of weeks ago. They're all from different businesses. So they've got a little business agenda going on. They, they want to know about how to manage time. They want to know about productivity. They want to know about customer service. They want to know about motivating staff, retaining staff, all that kind of stuff. Their agenda is fairly obvious to me, but you can't ignore it. You can't just go in with the same stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then a few months ago, I had an audience of employees. So they've got a different agenda. They probably want to engage employees, but through you know, different means, or they might, what keeps them up at night? So you're kind of addressing the, what keeps you up at night? What's bothering you? What problem can I solve with this talk material? And you kind of top mm. and tail your talk to relate to the audience. It's a lot of detail there, Jill. It's yeah. like, it's like <laughs> going to school, isn't it? Every day's a learning day. So you really have to know your audience. No, you have to, well, you have to, be in the audience's shoes. Mm. So you don't, it doesn't take long to get to know an audience if you just think about them for a few minutes. So an audience of people who work in the housing association sector in social and public housing, social housing, 
in the UK, I think, well, what, who are their customers? What are their needs? What are the demands? I don't just make any assumptions about them. I might have a really good call with the person booking me about the market, but I also look at the news and look, do a Google search on social housing pressures, housing association uh, difficulties, challenges. And you understand that, you know, a lot of them have tenants. A lot of them don't have enough budget to do up their houses, that sort of thing. So they might be feeling all sorts of things about their work and their world. So yeah, it doesn't take a, it doesn't take very long to think about, you know, the audience and understand, get under their skin to yeah. understand them. And and how are you able to cultivate your your following, your your client base in the Manchester area? How are you able to make? Of course, you're from the area, but how are you able to after leaving for years? How are you able to come back and make it? feel like home? Mm, it's a really good question, actually, because I arrived back in the Northwest. So I don't quite live in Manchester, although that is the sexy place of the Northwest. <laughs> it's probably why you're thinking I live there, isn't it, Jill? That's yes, right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I actually live in Warrington, which is between Liverpool and Manchester, but that's by the by. The whole of the Northwest is there for the taking. It's a massive um, region, the second biggest region after the Southeast in the UK in terms of economic uh, turnover, if you like, and population. And I was re-entering this after 30 years away. I left when I was 18 and I re-entered as a former TV person. So I was slightly famous, slightly known as a face, but I was establishing myself as a business owner who needed to get customers. So I had to almost completely erase what I'd been before and start again. And the joy of reaching out to people is, uh, I don't know if you found this in business, away from the transactional nature of the media, is that people have time for you and people invite mm. you to things and people involve you and include you. And I'm so grateful to other business owners who I might even be in competition with, who would have spent time kind of educating me or connecting with me. And that that's the one thing I've never been very good at is making connections for just the sake of having a connection. No transactional like, oh, you, so I can invoice you now, yeah? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's about building relationships. <laughs> and as a result, I've made huge numbers of fantastic businessy friends. And I think when you're older, it's harder to make those really close bonds that you might have done at school or at university mm. or in your early career when everyone's sort of kidless and time rich. Mm. <laughs> uh, it's very difficult. So you kind of make them on another level. Mm. You become very honest with people very quickly and you realize what it is you like and what you don't like or, you know, and that you can um, discern, you're more discerning but you're also ready to suck up other people's information and be grateful for it. So that's how I built um, what I feel is a community, my little community that supports me and joining the speaking association as well, of course, which is, mm. you know, 600, 700 people who are all in competition with me, you'd think. <laughs> but we are supportive of each other because we recognize we're part of an industry. And it's good to help each other. So we refer each other mm. to other work, you know, and suggest things, watch each other if we're at the same conference, maybe give feedback if we're asked to, to help us be better at what we do. So I guess it's um, it's not quite the same as building a village in a 
traditional sort of community way, or you might meet meet up in person all the time and you're all on the same page, I feel like I have a community of individuals around me who may or may not know each other. Oh, well, I, I love that. I love that you've managed to build this community of people who all are helping each other succeed. Mm, yeah. And it's not for greed. It's not capitalism. It's like, hey, it's because we love what we do. <laughs> and we love helping. I think that's the bottom line. And that's what I really found brilliant after leaving broadcasting was that I was then able to help others. And mm. that sang to my soul mm. much more than running through the television center corridors with a script in my hand to try and get to the studio on time to tell people whether the FTSE 100 had gone up or down. I mean, that, that was fun, interesting, you know, to a degree, hugely glamorous. And my God, you got the best job in telly. It wasn't nutritional for the soul. It didn't nurture the soul particularly. So I've loved coming away from broadcasting. And getting back to your original question is like, how do you, how do you set up in business after broadcasting? You know, you grieve a little, you get over it, and then you work out how you can help people. Mm. That's so great that you've been able to do that. And I enjoyed all the tips I gained from Make Yourself a Little Bit Famous. Lots of, lots of great insights on how to build up one's own business. So thank you for that. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And thanks for sharing your, your journey. Thanks, Jill. You can find out more about Penny at pennyhaslam.co.uk. That's P-E-N-N-Y-H-A-S-L-A-M.co.uk. 